Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we've got a real esports industry veteran and OG, Ben Goldhaber. We talked about his platform, Duked, which is helping to aggregate esports content, cutting through a lot of the fragmentation that sits in the esports market right now. But Ben's been around since the foundation of Twitch. Um, he's been a commentator, he's been a player, he's been a tournament operator, he's done a bit of everything. So not only do we talk about Duked and their current public crowdfunding, but we also talk about a lot of trends in the market and what we'd like to see people doing better. So hopefully you learn a thing or two from this episode if you want to ask any questions about this to myself or him you can hit him up on twitter at fish sticks that sticks with an s or with an x or me on linkedin or twitter at smithy mayo thanks hope you enjoy ben we're live how are you i'm doing well how about you chris it's been a it's been a little while since you last chatted yeah, I think I think it's been a year. I think, yeah. Like, um, you know, James Bryce Lynn was still with us before he ran off to the UK when when we were talking about like your first was it your seed round or something like that. So you're definitely well past that right now. Yeah, well, pre seed round back then, uh, but yeah. a lot changes in a year when you're a startup, and a lot changes in a year in esports in general. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Well, I guess it was pre pre coronavirus, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's probably the big thing to talk about. Too, obviously. <laughs> so this yeah. is your second second appearance, I guess, on on the podcast and content as a whole. But for those people who are just tuning in for the first time, whether they're live on LinkedIn, listening to audio only or video, can you just give a really quick rundown into you, um, your lengthy history within esports, and then also Duked and what you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Uh, I'm Ben Goldhaber. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Juke.gg. We are creating the new home for esports fans, really trying to consolidate the really fragmented ecosystem uh, for fans. Um, so right now, as uh, if you're an esports fan, you have to go to all these different sources just to stay on top of your favorite games and teams. And you know, we think that makes a really high barrier to entry to becoming a fan in the first place. And even if you're you're like myself or you're like Chris. Uh, and and you're already embedded in the ecosystem, it can be quite painful just to stay on top of everything that's going on. So uh, unlike in traditional sports where you've got Sports Center, you've got apps sending you push notifications every time your favorite teams go live, that's really not the case in esports. So that's the, the fundamental problem that we're trying to solve. We're trying to make it easy to follow all of your favorite games, players, and teams in one place. And uh, we're trying to build a sense of community in esports as well, which is uh, which is really a personal pa uh, you know, passion of mine. Uh, um, I've been involved in esports for actually like 20 years. Um, the first 10 years, I was a player. Uh, I then became an esports commentator, tournament organizer, and host. But for the first 10 years, I had zero aspirations whatsoever to make a career in esports. It was a passion. It was a hobby. It was something I did during my weekends and free time. Um, but uh, I had the opportunity to actually join the founding team at Twitch back in 2011, which was amazing. It was, uh, you know, right out of college, I was able to join that team early uh, because I was creating content, because I was doing all of this stuff in esports. It was a really a natural fit for me to join that team. So not only was I lucky to get a full-time job in esports, I actually got to ride that wave at Twitch for about seven and a half years, obviously through the Amazon acquisition. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I do consider myself one of the luckiest people ever. <laughs> that's that's good man yeah that's pretty good so obviously you know esports has changed astronomically since then and i'm, I'm glad you mentioned like about the fragmentation part because i guess that's a topic that for some reason i didn't plan on talking about but it makes sense so you know i feel like over the years esports has become so much more fragmented right like if you were to do anything about counter-strike you would go straight to sevo forums and that's where yeah. everybody who ever played counter-strike competitively would talk so if you want to announce a tournament 
or join a team or anything like that, you go there. But now it's common, you know, it's like, hey, I'm 16 years old, I'm a CSGO player, you know, I've reached a couple of ranks in online, I'd like to play pro. Where do I go? You Google like CSGO esports and you hit with like 40 different websites. And then, you know, you hit with some that are just America only, some that are just India, some that are just once-off tournament series, some that are long-term. Like how the hell do you even know how to enter in the market? Like I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys about how like you're fixing some of that fragmentation. Yeah. So, I, I mean, actually, th- there's maybe two separate fragmentation problems. One is uh, related to if you want to play in tournaments and you want to find organized competition, uh, it, it's extremely difficult. We are not tackling that problem today. Our The problem that we're tackling is actually more for the fans of esports that want to watch every stream, follow their favorite players and teams, um, get scores, stats, highlights, uh, consume that kind of you know show content in one place. It's really, really difficult. But, uh, you know, one of the other, I think, really big opportunities in esports right now is to tackle being the central destination where you go for amateur play. Um, I think you mentioned SIVO, and I think that definitely resonates because if I go back 10 years and I know your audience, maybe not everyone in your audience is super endemic to esports. Maybe they are, but uh, it was really easy 10 years ago to go to Cal, uh, the, you know, the Cal I league or Cal, Cal, uh, Cal leagues and enter organized competition, regular league play. Um, Mm -hmm. I had friends back then who never would have ever considered themselves gamers. They never went on to play games competitively after that point, but they paid $10 per season to play in a Cal league because it was just where everyone was. It was really easy to do. It was really streamlined. And I think that that's also another opportunity in esports, frankly. Yeah, it's like it's like the most exciting thing and the worst thing about esports, right? There's just so much. There's so much going on all the time. But you're definitely right. Um, you know, I even use the example to people that even here in Australia, I think we had six CS:GO things were happening at once at one stage. We had like three leagues, and then a DreamHack qualifier, and then like a BenQ Zowie Asia qualifier, and then like an MDL qualifier as well. You know, with with three regular seasons happening at the same time, and it's just crazy. And it's it's part of the the advantage of sports where that kind of stuff exists. So you can, you can just join, you don't need a bias to franchise, you know, you can just come up from the grassroots, you can win these tournaments and you can win your way off overseas to Sweden to play from Australia, which is great. But then also it creates exactly those issues that we're talking about, which is like, Hey, you know, when and where things are. And that's, it's been a thing that's always surprised me as someone who's run tournaments in the past is just how hard it is often, even when you're actively looking to just find like, who, who won this tournament? What was the prize money? Um, you know, where did my favorite team place? Where are they playing next? Um, who's playing in the tournaments? When are the tournaments on? Where do I watch them? And you'd think it would be obvious because if you're running a tournament, you're making money off people watching it. But often it's just seems really hard even when you're actively looking. Yeah. And I think the, the important part also there is from a storyline perspective, what, which tournaments actually matter? Um, you know, mm, I think that's, that's one right. one one really um, lacking area in esports today is really telling those storylines. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent and an anecdote, but I started watching a, a Netflix show about um, kids in Oakland, my hometown, playing in uh, for a Laney College, which is like uh, uh, you know, it's not even a, a proper university. It's, it, it's a, it's a trade school essentially. And they had this football team and this, this documentary is so well produced. It's telling such beautiful storylines about the players and the human elements. And it just occurred to me that this event about this, this documentary about a tiny little team that probably nobody is watching their games on a regular basis 
it's exceeding what we have in esports. You know, there's so many storylines out there that are not being told. And I think that's uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It's something I'd love to see changed over the next decade. Yeah, that's true. It's something I haven't thought about for a long time, right? Like if you've got an ESL league and a DreamHack league and one team wins the ESL league and then doesn't simply doesn't play in the DreamHack league, who's the best team? Like, I don't know. And you see this discussion all the time happen in Dota 2, right? Like around the international where a team like OG, they're like, well, are they going to perform this year? I don't know because they skipped out in 75% of the tournaments. Mm-hmm. So you just you just don't know who the best team is because it's not like you're, you're consistently playing against each other on a round robin on a single ladder like in the NFL or baseball or any, any other traditional sport. And, and now we don't even have the international this year, which is like really sad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So like how... How did you identify this problem? Is it is it the very standard of, you know, a, a startup founder such entrepreneur says, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble. I just want to go and fix this problem for myself. It was. I mean, we are our prototypical users. My co-founder, Chris, and I have, we've been in the space for a decade each, uh, for me even longer. And we're the type of people that actually care about following every major tournament, whether it's League of Legends mm-hmm. Worlds, which actually starts in a couple of hours. Uh, maybe like 12 hours from now, it'll, it'll be going live or 10 hours from now. Uh, we want to watch Evo, the biggest fighting game tournament in the world. We want to watch the big Smash Brothers majors. We want to watch the CSGO majors. We're going to always watch the international. Um, and what we've, what I've learned from, you know, speaking to hundreds and hundreds of our own users on Juked, as well as talking to all of my friends in the industry is that this is actually a pretty common behavior. Uh, you want to know what's happening across the biggest events, almost regardless of what game it is. Now, not every eSport fan is like this, but I would say the majority are at least interested in following or and knowing about all of the biggest events. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, it, you know, COVID has really, really impacted how many major tournaments there are uh, happening right now in eSports and really what has gravitas and what doesn't. But in a typical year, I mean, like if you go back to 2019, Every single weekend, you were having six, seven, eight tournaments that all mattered, that all had hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizing, that all had hundreds of thousands of viewers watching throughout the tournament. And uh, there was no easy way to follow all of that. So that was really the core problem that we wanted to solve as fans ourselves. And that was really the, the motivation for it. How do you how do you find the stickiness on the platform for you guys? Like making a generalization into all of esports, what what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from investors is there's a bunch of different esports technology startups. The ideas look really cool. They can get users easily, but users don't stick around. Do you see people going to Duke.gg instead of just going to Twitch.tv and hitting the browse function? Yeah, I mean our our most dedicated users, uh, I guess our prototypical user is somebody who follows esports or Actually, a lot of the time they used to be follow esports, but now they don't necessarily have the time or, or resources to do it anymore. They've got a job and they've got a kid and they've got a dog and they've got a family and they don't feel like they're able to express their fandom for esports as much as they used to. So really the, the type of user that loves to come back to Juke every single day to see what's happening is that type of fan who uh, loves esports as in theory, but doesn't have the, the capability to follow everything like they could previously. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we found something similar where it's really great and, and easy to get exposure. 
um, for Juke because we can partner with esports tournaments, we can partner with esports leagues, we can partner with content creators and and the esports teams, and we can use SEO and social media and content to get the brand out there. Uh, but I think you know us, we definitely have some growing to do when it comes to features that keep people coming back every single day. It's something we think about a lot. Mm, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I guess like try and try and draw like an analogy between that. This is why I feel like Fortnite as a, as an esport for competitors has been so successful because it removes all of that friction. You know, we keep talking about how it's actually hard to be an esports fan. A lot of the times it creates a lot of manual work. And yeah. this is why, you know, I always have these questions around those third party tournament platform companies because in Fortnite, literally you open the game. It says, Hey, do you want to enter a tournament? It's happening in 10 minutes. You go, yep. And then you play. That's it. It doesn't require you to do any other signups. Doesn't require you to pay any entry fees, anything like that. And bam, you're thrown straight on a leaderboard, and they they wire ten thousand bucks to your bank account if you play well. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's the holy grail for that esports has lacked for a long, long time. I wish we saw that in more games. Uh, but again, that that solves problems for the player. It doesn't necessarily solve problems for the fan who wants to know who the best player is, who wants to watch those streams. I mean, in Fortnite. Most, most of these events aren't even being streamed by one central source. It's only done by individual players streaming to their own channels. Uh, so it's it's incredibly difficult, even in that case, as a fan to know what's happening and who you know what matters, who to watch, mm. things like that. So who like who are you mainly picking up the slack from then? Uh, like, can you be better supported by the tournament providers? Can you be better supported by the publishers? Like, who can who can help you guys grow and produce a better product? Yeah, I mean, we've had a ton of luck working with partners, uh, partnering up with tournaments so far, because frankly, you know, if you're Activision Blizzard, you have the development team to create overwatchleague.com or callofdutyleague.com, and those are pretty good experiences. So if you're only an Overwatch League fan and that's all you care about, I would say you're you're decently well served, you know. I'd say there's some things our product does better than overwatchleague.com, but we, we don't need to go into the nitty gritty details. But if you go, you know, maybe down one rung from the leagues that the publishers and developers are running themselves, if you look at the grassroots tournaments, but, you know, even up to the ESLs and the DreamHacks of the world, they're typically just linking directly to their Twitch channel or to their YouTube channel. And mm. on a Twitch channel, you're not going to get brackets, not going to get standings, you're not going to get stats. You're not going to know who these players are on each team. You're not going to know what the team rosters are. Uh, you're not even going to know the schedule. I mean, Twitch technically does have a schedule system, but it's really not used widely, especially in the esports space. So, um, you know, I think the reason why we've been able to work with tournament organizers is because our landing pages offer so much more value to the average user than simply linking to your Twitch channel or simply linking to YouTube because you get all of that context really uh, one click away, you're going to find anything you need to know about that tournament. Um, so, you know, because we've provided that value, we've been able to partner up with tournament organizers. In some cases, we've done sponsorships, but a lot of the time we're just saying, hey, we're going to set you up. We're going to promote your event. And, uh, and then we get co-marketing in return. And that's been an awesome way for us to grow. Mm. And I guess like using a direct example for that, you know, with some of my research, what's been hard is, is finding out with League of Legends. You know, what? what is the Brazilian League of Legends tournament called? I don't know. It was called CB LOL. I have no idea how I could have guessed that. So I'm Googling everywhere. And then I'm trying to find who on each of the splits and what does a split actually mean? 
you know, what is the summer 2020 split? And okay, summer, well, that's the opposite because they're in Brazil and I'm in Australia. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just, it was so confusing trying to go through it and figuring out, you know, the pathway as, as to, you know, what teams placed where or, you know, I had, it, I had this happen as well with the, uh, um, with the Pro Evolution Soccer Finals as well, doing some research for a client with with a project we're working on and just trying to find like who won the tournament, where was it, what was the prize pool, how many people were in the crowd, where can I watch the videos? And it was a lengthy process of trying to find that stuff. So like you guys are presenting everything that's happened live, but do you have a, a history of things that are going on as well that people can look through? Yeah, so on Juke, you can find past matches and VODs uh, and we actually have a search function too. So we, we recently launched each, launched esports team pages as well so okay. if you're a fan of cloud nine you can go to cloud nine's page and find all of their most recent results and bods um i think you know we definitely have some iterations to do uh you know in no way do i would i say that juked is perfect but i think we do make it pretty easy to find that kind of thing mm. so what's the so what's the exit for you guys if i can ask like like are you looking to be acquired by a larger technology platform do you think this is something that twitch would buy you know, I probably a little bit early to start speculating on these types of things, but um, we do look out into the ecosystem and see, you know, who's investing in esports um, within their own properties, who have made acquisitions in the past. And it's the Disney's of the world with ESPN esports and uh, they're, mm. pr- they're putting e- esports all over their TV channels on, on, on Disney XD, as well as ESPN two and ESPN three. Um, it's the Turners of the world, which uh, obviously have e-league, which is their own esports property, but Turner, not, not super recently, but pretty recently acquired Bleach Report for a whole, whole big hunk of change. So I think mm-hmm. uh, when we look at that kind of uh, long-term scenario for Juked and how we're going to give return to our investors as well as our employees, you know, I think an exit scenario with one of these media giants that already loves esports and is looking to stay in tune with the younger audience is, uh, is, is our best scenario. Mm. And I guess that's a good segue talking about raising, right? So, so you guys right now are doing a you know public crowdfund. So, you know, selling off a portion of your company to potential mainstream investors, members of the public and, and fans, you know, from, from what I can understand, this is the third that I've seen in esports as a whole. There was an Australian esports team called Order that did one on a platform called Virtual and got their tab open. So they raised 360K Aussie, over 211 investors back in November 2018. So that was around 300K US, give or give or take. And then Amuka Esports uh, from Canada listed on Front Funder. They did 432 out of a 500,000 max. And I believe that's in Canadian dollars. So pretty pretty one-to-one and then you guys are listening here um now at the moment at 1892 percent i think above your above your minimum subscription so i'd love to learn a bit more about you know why why crowdfunding and also what is the process like it's it seems to be so common my my facebook feed is full of ads for you know hot source companies and Mm -hmm. solar companies going through crowdfunding so i'd love to learn from you like what was the process like and also why Yeah, so we're working with a platform called Republic, which is one of many crowd equity platforms right now in in the U.S. Um, You know, globally, uh, I think things are a little bit different, but in the U.S. in particular, uh, regulations essentially got relaxed so that it was possible to take investment from non-accredited investors. So before the Jobs Act, you you actually had to be an accredited investor in the U.S. to invest in a startup, which either means you have a million dollars net worth or you're making two hundred thousand per year uh, and you're planning to do and you think you're going to do so the next year. So that limits the number of people who can invest just 
the very top of the one percent. Um, and mm. because of the re- of the loosening of these regulations, or I guess a better way to say it is because of these new new formats. Uh, it's called Reg CF for anyone's that interest anyone that's interested in looking into it. Uh, Reg CF allows anyone to invest as little as a hundred bucks into uh, into a startup like Jute. Uh, and we like crowd equity for a couple of reasons. I think one of one of the most obvious reasons is that um, due to COVID, uh, VC investment definitely slowed down substantially. But these crowd equity platforms are breaking every record. So when we mm-hmm. talked to Republic, when we were talking to some of these other platforms, they actually started reaching out to us. Um, we had considered it, but they all started reaching out to us because they've been just smashing their their historical records these last couple of months. So I think a lot of individual investors are like, mm, stock market kind of seems a little overblown right now. I think I can make more money by investing in the startup world. Um, so you know that's really allowed uh, a lot of lot of folks to to actually jump in and do that. Um, so, mm. we're, you know, we like this for a lot of reasons. I think the availability of the capital is the most obvious reason, but we also get to work with our community members. I mean, we are, you know, I'm a community member. I am an esports community guy in, in my heart. So I'd rather be beholden to the esports community versus be beholden to uh, venture investors who might not understand the esports space uh, as well as somebody who's part of the esports community. So you're a brave man being beholden to Twitter. <laughs> it's not something that a lot of people would say. Well, don't put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it goes good and bad, right? At least it's the people who care about you are the ones that are investing in and going to, you know, be your evangelist, right? It's like that whole Seth Godin, this is marketing thing of focusing on your first 50. You know, you focus on your first 50 hardcore customers. If, if they come back to you all the time for some reason, they're probably likely to put some money into you and then tell their friends to come back. And and now they've got a very biased reason for telling their friends to come back to the website as much as possible. Absolutely. And, and in less than two weeks, we have over a thousand individual investors in our crowd equity campaign. So if we can get a couple mm. thousand brand evangelists, you know, that's nothing to scoff at. So there's there's a marketing benefit for sure. Mm, that's really true. And there's, a, there's actually a good question coming through the LinkedIn Live, which is I was going to ask next anyway. So, you know, talking talking about the virtual crowdfund with Order, you know, the, the way that those crowdfunds work in Australia, at least in Order's case and maybe in all, is that you essentially have to publicly list. You have to open up your books. You have to create a very large investment off a document um, and and go through a lot of that process without actually IPOing. What's what's the process for you guys to go through that? that public crowdfunding and do you have to open up your books to, to people who are investing in you publicly? Yeah. So um, if uh, I'd recommend anyone who's interested to check it out, go to republic.co slash juked. You can find all of our information there. Um, you know, we filed information to the SEC about our company, about our books. I think it's far less rigorous than like a, a full on public, uh, public offering, like being traded on the public markets. Um, mm. It's not, it's not the same thing. Um, but you know, we, we did had, you know, we, we were very open, obviously uh, transparent about our books and that's all available uh, on our Republic page. So how, how does this compare to like your last race? Is your, is your last race public and, and how did that go? Yeah, we ended up closing our pre-seed round towards the end of last year with 
awesome investors. We closed 800,000 uh, in our pre-seed round. Um, we were part of 500 startups, the accelerator here in San Francisco, uh, one of the most prestigious accelerators, I think. Uh, so uh, between 500 startups and about 10 or, or 12 additional angel investors, uh, we, we did close that 800,000 round. Uh, we published information about this. We did a little bit of a PR. So if you just want to go to Google and search for juked pre-seed, I'm sure you'll see it. Yeah, fantastic. And, I, you know, there's, there's one thing, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, so now's an apt time to talk about it again, is is around, I guess, the, the size of investments and who's interested in the market. So, like, I've I run into a common problem with a few different projects and working with clients, where they say, hey, Chris, we're doing this, you know, we're raising our own capital, but if you can help out, that'd be fantastic. And my common reply is, I've got people who are interested in 10 to 30K, and I've got some investment banks who are interested in 10 million to 20 million plus, and I have no one in the middle at all um uh, actually i have one guy have one guy in the middle and that's it you know and i know that we talked in the past during your pre-seed and you were you were seeing some kind of stuff similar where you're saying hey chris you know we're at the right size or sometimes too big for solo or angel investors but we're definitely much too small for vcs and you were experiencing that same problem so is that is that something you're still seeing in the market yeah, I mean, I, I think the the with incre- with accredited in, excuse me, I don't know why I can't talk uh, with accredited <laughs> investors. It's a hard word to say to my yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, with accredited investors, I think 25K is like super common. Um, I don't know why that number is like super common, uh, but it's something that we we saw a lot in, in our pre-seed round. A lot of people coming in at, at around that level. Uh, but again, this is one of the reasons why we love crowd equity, because you know, uh, it allow it just opens the playing field up to a lot of different types of people. You know, whether you're accredited or non-accredited, you know, that's you're it's available for you. Mm. And can you can you talk about the sizes that are coming in from from the mainstream? Then are you are you seeing mostly people just chucking in a hundred to five hundred, or are you still seeing people coming through that vehicle putting in you know the five to ten k? And is is there a cap as to as to what an individual person can put in through your crowdfund? Yeah, actually, I would just recommend anyone can go to our page. You can see some of these investments coming in um, for various reasons. I am I have to tell you to go to that page. Um, so all the information is there. Uh, believe me, there's, there's some very weird like legal stuff about like what I you know uh, about me advising on this. So uh, yeah. best thing I can say is go check out the page. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, I'm starting to learn more about this stuff. Remember one of one of the weirdest ones was it was a public listed company that told me they can't retweet anything with their stock ticker in it. So they sent me like a hat and I sent a picture of it and they couldn't retweet it because on the hat was their stock ticker. I love yeah. these. I love these finance rules. It's okay. similar. It's a similar yeah. kind of thing to that. Yeah. 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 So I guess the like the other topic I want to talk to you about is defensibility. So for you guys, you know, the obvious question is you know, Twitch has installed Versus, which has enabled people to start creating their own tournaments. I'm sure that creates some um, questions around Blonge and and Smash and, and these other third-party programs. What about for you guys? What's, what's your defensibility if, if Twitch decided to turn on a feature like this? Well, I mean, we think of ourselves uh, as a kind of tech company and a media company uh, hybrid. And as a media company, building your brand is the most important thing. Building your marketing channels is the most important thing. So you yeah. have defensibility if you're creating the best esports content out there, and you have the best writers, and you have uh, the best hosts doing the best show. Then that is defensibility in itself. 
But we also need to create network effect. You know, our goal is to uh, to become giant. We want to become an empire. And uh, to do that, we have to also think about how we def- build defensibility with the product itself. So when we do when we think about that, you know, your traditional network effect features where the more people are on your site, the more valuable your product becomes, the more uh, the, the, the higher the opportunity cost of going anywhere else. So um, when we think about that, we're thinking about social functionality. So uh, building out uh, individual profiles so you can see who your friends are, what they've watched, what their who their favorite esports teams are, how much of those esports have they watched. But we're also thinking about gamification. So uh, building in, you know, pickums. Um, you know, for for Worlds last year, Riot did an official pickums event where you could predict who you thought was going to win throughout the bracket. Um, and I think they had 4.5 million people play in that bracket pickums yeah, well. uh, game. Um, and but that doesn't exist for the vast majority of esports out there, the vast majority of leagues. So we'd love to be that provider where you're not only going there because the content's all there and uh, the, the scores and the stats and the data and the streams, as well as our own original content are all in one place. But we also want to be the place where all of your friends who are watching esports are commenting on news, uh, uh, sharing their profile, playing in gamifi- gamification, creating watch parties and things like that. So those are some of the features that we're, we have planned that we you know, we're, we're aiming to actually transition into focusing more so on those types of features in kind of the next six months. It sounds to me part of it is like not everyone can do every feature. So there's, there's got to be a, there's got to be a, a, a thing for you in there. You know, it's like not, not every hack an ESL and MDL league wants to do um, complete pickems and wants to do complete watch the games with your friends and, and all of this, you know, kind of plugins and stuff that you guys are doing. You know, you, you can't do everything. As it's hard. It's hard to build that stuff. You know, it, it takes mm. engineering resources. Not everyone has that. And another thing I'd point out is like, look, we, we want to win. We want to be the media destination, but ESPN exists, Bleacher Report exists, Yahoo Esports, or Yahoo Sports exists, uh, and that's just in the West. Um, if you look at a global scale, there can be many, many winners in this space. It's a big enough pie. I really wish I remember who said this quote because I've used it so many times, but I thought it was apt, which is like, it was, it was a quote from someone saying, in 10 years, every company will function as a media company. And I think I'm, I'm finding that along with what you're saying as well. Even the fact of you know, Unicorn, a betting company is a client of ours and a big part of their website offering is esports news. You know, esports news has nothing directly to do with betting, but like you said, it, it brings people back to the side if you're creating good content. And it's the same with us. We're, mm-hmm. we're essentially an esports agency, but 85% of my inbounds come through LinkedIn, which is because I'm creating content on there yeah. for people to consume. Yeah, content marketing, man. It's, uh, it's powerful. It's the thing. We can all blame Gary Vee for that, I guess. <laughs> So what's, I mean, what's, what's coming up next for you guys in the, in short, you know, in the short to medium term, how long is there left on, on the public crowdfund? Are there any specific features that you want to roll out first? Yeah. I mean, the reasons why we're raising funding right now is so that we can accelerate the growth of our product as well as start to launch original content offerings. Um, so um, obviously hiring engineers is not cheap. Um, so we're looking to build out our engineering team um, so that yep. we can get on mobile. You know, right now the product works on mobile, uh, but it works through mobile web. So we need to get apps out there as soon as we can. Uh, mm. And that's going to be one to two mobile engineers. And uh, we have a lot that we need to build when it comes to monetization as well. So uh, there are a lot of products and features, which uh, I wish we could just snap our fingers and get out there. But unfortunately uh, that doesn't work like that. So 
uh, we're raising against these goals of launching a mobile app, getting monetization out there, getting these social features out there. And also, I think that there's great opportunities in content right now in esports. At the very beginning of the show, we talked about the lack of storylines, um, the lack of uh, just an understanding of what is happening in esports, what matters, what you should care about. Um, mm. We we want to fill that need. We want to create the best esports show that covers all the news but also here's the top five events to watch this weekend and why you should watch and by the way you can also go watch on a juke link uh so you know those are those are the goals that we're raising against and looking to really accelerate for the company yeah and i I feel like something that you know you guys understand that you can do different is not just not just content for the sake of doing content like understanding what the purpose it is and this is I didn't see this trend happen too much overseas, but I saw it happen a lot in Australia a few years ago. So all the teams started attracting investment. There are a few that, you know, got 500K to a million through the door. And then content became the word that they're all talking about. But they just put in such minimal effort that it was like, you may as well have not done the content at all. And I guess it's like a, it's a, it's a thing that a lot of people ask me is say, Chris, I'm doing a community esports event at a local internet cafe. You know, how should I do a Twitch stream? And I say, well, don't, you don't, you don't need one. Who's going to watch it? Like put more of that money into Facebook ads to get people to turn up, put more of that money into free Coca-Cola for everyone who walks through the door, put more of that money into anything else or keep it for yourself so you can afford to pay yourself to run another one. And I'd be really interested to see that for you guys too, is not just content for content's sake, but really, like you said, driving home those exact storylines and, and telling people why they should watch and why they should care. Because I think that's, you know, and I guess we both agree, that's a massive thing that's missing from esports because I, I feel like, Besides the OG Red Bull content, there's a massive lack of emotional content that happens in esports at all. Yeah, there's a lot of cool phase content where they do stuff and people love to follow them because they're flexing on people and they're, and they're doing some really cool stuff and they're working with cool brands. But besides like Red Bull following OG and Topson to his family in Finland in the snow and talking to him about his upbringing and I've seen a little bit of that around Counter-Strike as well, there's, there's a real lack of that as to like why should I care more than just – the game or who's playing on stage. And I guess like another example, I I saw this with the Overwatch World Cup in Australia where the, um, it was like Australia versus, I think it was Australia versus Team Finland and someone else was playing in Sydney back in 2017 or 2018. And it was a sold out arena. Everyone was having a fantastic time. The the line for the Blizzard merch store was so long that it would sell out before, you know, the the line finished at crazily, crazy high prices for Blizzard merchandise, but they loved it. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed is that the crowd was going nuts in the tournament, but then the, Team Australia could just walk around the crowd and no one would even stop them or look at them whatsoever. And I think it was because what I see a lot is that, you know, why are the fans watching? They're watching just because it's Overwatch, because they all have this commonality that they love the game and there's people that are playing on stage that are better than them, but they just don't care or know about those people on stage whatsoever. I see that with Overwatch, I see that with Fortnite a lot as well. So I'd love to see some more storylines for sure. Yeah, every game is different. You know, some... Uh, some tournament organizers do better than others. And then you look at the international and they tell these amazing stories about the players. I mean, uh, I yeah. still think free to play international, the, the documentary that Valve produced about the first international is one of the best pieces of esports media ever. Uh, and That's they, they do it every year, but it's really few and far between. I, I'll give another shout out to um, the Pop Flash tournament that recently happened uh, in, in Valorant from uh, from the B site team. That uh, mm-hmm. they, they did a great job producing those like player biopsies or not biopsy uh, 
Bio, what is the word? They, 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 biopic, they, isn't it? Biopic. <laughs> Biopsy, oh God. <laughs> uh, they did not dissect a player. Um, they dissected his life. Uh, so they, they did some really good stuff, actually, in that tournament. And, uh, you know, you got to see a guy like Psalm, who I knew that Psalm got second at the Overwatch, or excuse me, at, at the Fortnite World Cup. And I knew that he had this history as like, he played all these different games, but I didn't realize yeah. that he was a top heroes, heroes of the storm player. Like one of the best heroes of the storm players in the world. I didn't realize that he had this epic like path through all these different games in different genres. And they told that story really well. And it got me way, way, way more invested um, mm. just to keep going with the Valorant example, because I love what's happening in that community right now, the rivalry in North America versus TSM and, and, and Sentinels. Uh, they've been just building up this rivalry and it's been like the uh, fairy tale storyline because they kept meeting in the finals over and over and over again. And, mm. uh, and it just started to build this epic hype. And then Sentinels produced this like takedown video of just like, we're going to smash you. And it was just, it was beautiful. It was, it got me so much more invested. And that that's something that doesn't exist in most esports. It's mm, a good content idea from you to me then actually is to share some of these videos. There was, there was even a, like a 2000 and, um, 2012 World Championship Series StarCraft 2. That was like the first ever live event in Australia that was more than just a few trestle tables, really. We had Taste Doses came over and commentated it. And it was similar as well. There was a local film and camera crew that did that, you know, following the players' journeys throughout the group stages, the highs and lows of them winning and things like that too. I I mean, I've, I've been drawing so much comparisons in my content to it just to what the UFC does. I think esports can learn so much from the UFC. You know, the, the fact of, you know, there's one major card that happens and the UFC sends out camera crews to do embedded for all of the major, you know, the, the main card and the, and the second undercard. Um, you know, following the fighters, talking to their friends, their family, their coaches about how they're feeling throughout the week, you know, following their journey, highlighting all of their previous games and you really get some buy in there. You know, there's like a massive... Um, you know, there's a massive UFC coming up with Israel Adesanya from New Zealand, who's um, undefeated in MMA. And this will be his hundredth pro fight win if he wins this across kickboxing and boxing and Muay Thai and MMA versus Paulo Costa, who's like 12-0 from Brazil. And also they're opposite body types. You know, Paulo Costa is a real macho bro guy. He's huge, um, huge muscles. And um, compared to Israel Adesanya, he's literally a weeb. And it's, and it's a fight for the title. And yeah. they've just done a fantastic job of just following their complete storylines. They're very different personalities. And, you know, you can see the fans. They're super, you, know, you can see the comment section. They're super invested in what's happening. I'd love to see that more in esports, that leading up to the tournament, like you were saying. Yeah, and I've, I think that's our dream vision for Juked is that um, mm. over the next couple of years, we can build out the capabilities so that every single week we're telling a story about what's happening this weekend. Because there's mm. amazing gameplay there's no lack of good gameplay. It's just a lack of good stories and understanding what matters uh, in the space. And uh, we definitely want to solve that. So how do you, how do you find what to, how do, how do you find what to focus on then when there's so much fragmentation within esports? there's so many different features that you could implement like a mixture. And I guess that questions across two things, a game slash genres and B features for your own website. Yeah. Um, well, uh, this is probably going to sound kind of conceited, but I just have to say that I don't know if there's anyone in the world who spent quite as much time as I have personally following as many different esports as I have, because 
even before I joined Twitch in 2011, uh, I was working on a website called Gamescast TV, which aggregated esports streams from all these different sources. Uh, and that's when it all started for me. That's when I started just actively following games that I played, but games that I didn't play. I've never played Heroes of New Earth, but I was following all the big tournaments and uh, mind blown when they had 10,000 concurrent viewers. It was insane. Um, mm. And then at Twitch, one of the things that I did is my team curated all the content you saw on the front page of Twitch. So to do that, we had to build out our backend knowledge of all of the major events happening across the platform. Now, flash forward seven and a half, eight years later, we're building Juked and I'm still doing the same thing. So it's been quite literally, literally a decade of following voraciously all of the tournaments that are happening across every major game. Uh, and it's difficult, I mean, but it's just something that I've tapped into. I think uh, I, I've got I've got uh, a lot of different sources that I go to to find this stuff, and it's really difficult. But uh, I think we have the team. Chris is pretty similar, honestly. Like he he really does follow everything. So mm-hmm. when it comes to when we're writing our weekly newsletter, yeah, it's it's always going to be somewhat subjective. Um, this week I put the DreamHack CS:GO finals even though it was probably smaller than esl pro league but we already talked about esl pro league last week and there's all these different variables that are highly subjective that you have to uh that you have to kind of balance but uh that's that's what you got to do as an editor and yeah Mm. that's kind of what i'm doing for juked yeah i think a lot of people don't understand that being an esports expert is like being a sports expert it's pretty hard to know who the best um, freestyle swimmers are in the world and you know extreme sports bmx's and red bull fighter pilot uh, or Red Bull, you know, air race pilots at the same time that you know extensively about the NFL and who's going to play seventh in the league. Yeah. <laughs> so you must have a lot of, I guess you've, you've set up, and I'm trying to articulate this for myself as well to explain like how I go through the, the data. It's like I've got this internal filter in my brain and it's just been developed over 10 years and I'm able to just, just filter in what I need to know and filter out what I don't. And, and somehow at the end, that through my brain algorithm, that just spits out my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know exactly how it works. And thus you have your popular uh, content here on, on LinkedIn because you have that knowledge. You have 10 years of experience and, and you've built that. So Yeah. And I guess it's it's like you were saying with, um, you know, with, with your editorial content that I try to do with LinkedIn is, is I try to be the person to tell you this is what you should care about. And it goes back to the stories and stuff as well, right? It's cut out all the fluff, cut out the tournaments that don't matter, cut out the teams that don't matter. They're not trying. They're only good because ABC reason, whatever. And it's like, this is what you should care about. And that's what I find with my, um, the way that I um, try to structure my LinkedIn content. Like there's a reason why I'm posting so much about massive live venues that are coming and telling everyone, this is a trend. Not enough people are talking about it. And this is why I'm watching it for these reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, And, you know, thank God we have slashers, Twitter. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I got a lot of data for that guy. He's transcended just esports. Now he's just everything you need to know about politics everything. you know whatever everything yeah yeah exactly he's like the i just came up with this in my head but he's becoming like the esports joe rogan in in some sense yeah it's like you have a general theme that you know but there's always like the general theme is like almost everything but definitely not some of these things i mean slasher <laughs> needs to do a show like yeah he, he needs to get off twitter and start doing a show in fact yeah i doubt slasher's watching but let's let's talk yeah exactly I've got to get him on. Hey, he follows me on Twitter, but I've never talked to him before. I'm one of however many thousand people he follows. So I assume he has a similar method to you, which is, you know, following so many people and trying to mm-hmm. trying to push that data through his brain. <laughs> yeah, it's the so, only good way. It's the it's the literally the only way prior to Juked is to just follow 
500, 1,000, 2,000 people on Twitter, be subscribed to all the subreddits, voraciously consume that content every single day. That's mm. pretty much the way that it happens for most people. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you know what? If I was to give one piece of advice, because I know there's, there's at least one team owner and investor that's watching right now, is please just tweet out the the stream link more often would be very helpful. Like I did it the other day. I think it was ESL. They were sharing some clips of ESL Pro League that was happening right then. And I was like, oh, that clip looks cool. I'd like to watch. No link. Okay. Where do I go? So I had to go, you know, manually to twitch.tv and then and then I tried to search for it, couldn't find it. Then I hit browse and I hit counter-strike and then, okay, it's there. It's the third stream. Yeah. So that'd be nice. And once again, I mean, that's exactly why Juked exists, right? <laughs> should just go, to just go to Juked, man. Just go to Juked. We should have it. If we don't, then we're messing up. But I think we'll yeah. have it. So are there any are there any other trends that you're seeing in the space at all? I guess part of what we talked about is, you know, fragmentation in esports. That's a pretty general topic. You guys are working on that. And you know, we talked about content, you know, being something else. But are there any specific trends within esports or esports startups that, that you're tracking at the moment in the space? Anything interesting, exciting? Well, I mean, I, I think the industry has matured a lot over the last couple of years. And finally, it's starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, we, where's the ROI? So um, you know, I think if you go back two to three to four years ago, esports, no, no one in esports could do any wrong. As long as you were growing and you had a, you know, active user base, uh, mm. you could raise money, you could do anything. Uh, but that's not really the case anymore. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of esports organizations are starting to look to let's go hire a, a, a business MBA from Harvard instead of let's go hire the person that has 10 years of esports experience. And similarly, from the investment side, uh, you're, you're starting to see just people taken down to earth a little bit. So, I mean, one of the most common topics that people have loved to talk about over the last couple of years has been this, is there a bubble? Is there not a bubble? Um, but I think we're starting to see that transition towards like, okay, let's actually, we need to make esports into an actual sustainable business uh, rather than just a marketing tool for the, for the games. And that transition has been underway for, you know, better part of five years. I think uh, you, you do have to love it or hate it. You have to give some credit at least to Overwatch League um, mm. for, with the franchising model to, uh, because that really was one of the major catalysts that was like, okay, Overwatch League is not, a marketing device for Overwatch. It is a business and it needs to be treated mm. like a business. So I think this is a macro trend that um, we're seeing kind of across the board um, where you're not going to be able to just keep raising more money if you're an esports team or you're an esports league or you're um, a tournament provider. Uh, you're going to have to start to move towards building a business that stands on its own two feet. So I think this is, it may be painful. You know, I think there's, the, there's a realistic possibility that we will see some teams go and um, some startups go. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's a healthy transition that we're kind of seeing happen right this very second. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense what you said. You know, I, I did a podcast, um, I don't know, maybe maybe like four or five ago with Todd Citron, who's the head of competitive gaming at EA. And he said the same thing. Yeah, he said in the past, you know, esports has been a loss leader and a marketing plan for EA, but now they're really trying to make it as a standalone profitability exercise for itself. And, yeah. you know, been doing a lot of content with teams over the past couple of years for exactly that reason, right? They're, they're the ones that have been attracting all the investment interest. Mm -hmm. Like in 2018, when I went out, when I left Corsair and went out on my own, every investor, all they ever talked about was teams. That's all they ever knew. 
um, and there were sports teams buying sports teams or investors getting into the space. But, but now, you know, you're seeing that capital kind of dry up a little bit when they're asking like, okay, where's the money? You know, the traditional 12 to 36 month sponsorship model is probably in the way that's going ahead. So now you're seeing teams like Talon in Southeast Asia, you know, they function as much as an agency as they do an esports team. You're seeing like the Chiefs in Australia, you know, they make um, as much effort into running live events pre-COVID as they do to, you know, pushing through their Nivea, um, or sorry, their L'Oreal sponsorship or, or, you know, any of the other guys that they have. You look at um, FaZe Clan, for example, you know, they focus so much on content. And, and the way they can sell relaunching the Rebel Whopper in the US versus more, you know, 12 to 36-month sponsorships. Yeah. People are looking for revenue. Look, look at also um, Team Liquid's Team Liquid Plus, I think is a really interesting <clears> one <throat> too. Um, you know, I think you can, out of all of the esports teams, you can always point to TSM as one that actually from – from the literally before it was an esports team, it was a website that would, had millions of users, and they're making money through Google Ads. Uh, mm. and they've only continued to acquire more properties. They acquired the Blitz app, so TSM resembles more like more of a tech company than it does a traditional esports team. Um, team Liquid is similar in that they have Liquipedia, but they just launched Liquid Plus, which is like a straight up tech play. Like we want to create a fan engagement tool that no one has ever created before. Um, so mm-hmm. I think the savvier teams have been moving in that direction. I mean, you could even look at something like Rekt Global, which is the holding company for Rogue. And they've been a, they've been snatching up different esports properties to try and to build this more holistic business that does sponsorships, that does sales, that does content creation, that has a tech side to it, too. Uh, and, you know, I think most, if not every team that is venture backed right now is going this direction. I mean, a few come to mind that aren't necessarily, but uh, most teams are going in that direction. It's funny you were saying that about TSM because I completely forgot. And then my question is, what happened to Gosu? Because they were doing the same thing, right? It's Gosu. It's Gosu. That's a long time ago, man. (laughs) That's a history. Yeah, yeah. Because they they did very similar. I have no idea what happened to them. They even had an Aussie StarCraft 2 player for a while, right? And they were in really early League of Legends, but Mm -hmm. yeah, disappeared off the face of the earth. One of those those companies lost into the ether of esports, huh? (laughs) Yep, it happens. Yeah. So how like how are you seeing coronavirus affect positively or negatively, you know, your platform and also the tournaments that you guys are covering? Are you seeing a lot more time on site that you can attribute to that? Are you seeing tournament viewership go up or down? Yes and no. So I mean there's this popular there's this narrative that everyone seemed to be promoting early on in COVID that this is the best thing ever to happen to esports. And honestly, that's just Bullshit. Um, excuse my language. That's uh, it's complete nonsense. I mean, we yes, especially in the early days of COVID, when every single sport was shut down, there was a, there was some new interest from people in the traditional sports world who uh, were bored. But like, mm. and, and a lot of people who did sports betting who were like jonesing for their fix. I think that sports betting and fantasy esports might be the way that COVID has actually positively impacted esports the most because it really accelerated FanDuel and DraftKings and all these major uh, sports betting and fantasy products to start adopting esports much earlier than they probably would have otherwise. But I mean, I don't have to explain it. Like there's a huge difference between a bunch of people playing a tournament finals from their bedrooms versus sitting across from each other with you know, 30,000 people in the audience cheering. Uh, it's mm. not the same. And yes, esports leagues can go online, but 
first of all, there was a period where they were all scrambling and nothing was happening. Like there was a dead period. And now, now everything is online, but it's just not the same. And it, the way that CSGO is happening now is you have CSGO tournament, ESL Pro League season 12 happening right now. They have NA, EU, South America, uh, Oceania, um, and probably, I forget if they have an Asia, I think they have a Southeast Asia league as well, uh, or, or uh, for, yeah, for, for those teams. And that's how mm-hmm. every tournament has to be because, you know, you can't play from Australia to, to New York. You just, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's been pluses, but I don't think that they outweigh the negatives, um, at, at least not from, from where I stand. Yeah, no, we're definitely on the same page there. I think the real real plus for me has been media and influencers. That's really been the main ones. You know, like Riyadh um, is a friend of mine who's the owner of Gamers Group who owns like Gamepur and .esports and such. You know, he was posting screenshots of up to, I believe it was something like 300% viewership on his site over coronavirus because people are at home, they want more stuff. And even, even I saw it on LinkedIn. When coronavirus yeah. first started kicking off around March or April, massive dip. In LinkedIn, because I think the last thing people want to think about was work, because they're worried about their job. But now I'm seeing a massive explosion as everyone's coming back in. They're looking for new jobs. They're looking for ways to innovate. You know, they're they're hungry to go and do something different. You know, as coronavirus, you could say is is kind of winding up in, in a lot of different spaces potentially. So, yeah, and you know, I'm seeing that with influencers too. You know, we created a, a carousel and some data around that. Around, um, you know, one of my mates, he's got 800,000 subscribers. He creates ARC content, and he was saying, look, my viewership is up. 50, 60, 70%, but my ad revenue is down 30, 40, 50%. Wow. So yeah. the advantage is that he's willing to sell ads at a lower price, which I think are more reasonable. I think he's, I think he's pricing, he's selling out. He should have been selling all along, but now that thing snapped up, you know, we just did a, we just did a gigabyte notebooks campaign with him. We've just booked in another Asus campaign. We already did a Asus campaign before with him around, you know, the new 3000 series launches, what's upcoming for him and stuff. So, you know, he's going gangbusters. You know, I've got another friend who works in, um, who works in advertising who we've had on this podcast before, and he's done 4 million influencer sales since coronavirus kicked off. And he said a lot of that is companies literally telling him like we're getting into influences because of the coronavirus period. Like this is where the interest yeah. comes us and he's oh, yeah. getting more viewership. But you're right about esports. Like think about the travel companies, think about the ticketing companies. You know, if you think about how many staff ESL have employed, how many of those do AV lighting, checking tickets at the door, security, um, you know, travel itineraries that all have zero to do right now when, when yeah. it's all online. And we're, we're seeing some of those companies try and pivot to start, being producers where they can just produce live streams and that's their main thing now um nerd street gamers for instance they recently raised a series a where their entire business model is like we're going to go do venues and mm-hmm. now they're like okay well we're just going to do tournament streams now uh, in the meantime uh mm-hmm. you know actually like those guys a lot and they're doing really well with with what they're doing but I think, uh, you know, the the stuff that we're seeing at Esports Engine, they're ramping that up as well. So people are having to get creative. And yeah, you're completely right. Like gaming is thriving in COVID, which is which is crazy. Um, to, like it, it's crazy that there's like silver linings in COVID for, for some industries and mm. people. It's just weird to even say, say that. But um, gaming has never done better. Every single gaming stock is like, 20% above their all-time high right now. Um, uh, but esports is is different. It's not it's not one-to-one with gaming. Mm, mm. That's really true. Yeah, that's really true. So what's what's coming up next for you? I mean, you guys are wrapping up this crowdfunding, rolling out new features. Any, anything else exciting on the horizon? 
I mean, that's it, man. We're we're hoping to get those mobile apps out as soon as we can. We're hoping to launch our flagship show in the next month or so. Um, I at least want to start trying to do some content there. Uh, but right now, this crowd equity campaign has been a lot of what I'm working on. We're we're literally two weeks into the, doing the campaign to the day. So we launched it two weeks ago, and we're already at 470,000 um, total raised for the campaign. So we're extremely excited about the momentum there, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, going to keep pushing on that for for a bit more to see to see how we can go. Because uh, you know, I think for us, we are looking to raise a bit more capital as well on top of on top of the crowd equity campaign. So we're going to keep pushing and and see where it goes. But overall. Uh, really excited about our growth as a company as well. Uh, you know, we, we recently hit 50,000 monthly active users. Uh, awesome. We've been growing pretty organically as well. So we're not spending a lot of money or almost any money at all, actually, on, on marketing. So um, those things are all positive. We're just trying to keep sane in the COVID, COVID world and keep pushing things forward. Yeah, fantastic. And if anyone wants to follow you online or, or Duke, where's the best place? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at fishsticks with an X. Or just head to juked.gg uh, if you want to check out the Republic campaign, republic.co slash juked. Uh, that's, that's how you follow me. Fantastic, mate. Thanks for coming on. We'll have to do this again in, I don't know, probably another six to 12 months, I guess. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll keep coming on anytime. It's always fun to chat. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Maiden. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Once again, podcast every week. Hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thanks. Bye for now.